0: Journey to Organization, episode 118, Azriela Jankovic, Beyond All Things.
1: You're listening to the Journey to Organization podcast with Rebecca Saltzman, advice to help you clear your clutter and your mind.
0: Hello and welcome to Journey to Organization. I'm Rebecca Saltzman from Balagan Begon Personal Organization. And today I'm excited to talk with Azriela Jankovic about her new book, Beyond All Things. Azriela is a contemporary spiritual teacher inspired to share universally relevant ideas that enhance daily life and foster joy, purpose, and spiritual connection. She, in addition to her new book, Beyond All Things, also hosts the podcast Within All Things. Azriela has a bachelor's degree in sociology from UCLA, a teaching certificate, coaching certificates, and a master's in educational administration, as well as a doctorate in education from USC. She has studied beliefs, relationships, and rituals, as well as their impact on transforming and enhancing lives. In her quest to live an authentic and meaningful life, she was inspired to get married and become a mother. She is the grateful mom of four. She supports an entrepreneurial family, pursues an education, moves across the world, and keeps on learning from life one day at a time. She believes that joy, purpose, and spiritual connection are seeds within each of us and may simply need a bit of awakening or watering. Now, Ozzie and I have known each other for a while, and one thing I love about her is that she is a great listener. She is always trying to figure out how she can support others, so it's no surprise to me that she wrote this amazing book, Beyond All Things, which I have read cover to cover. The book has 50 insights that are intended to provide inspiration and guidance on your way to finding the beauty and serenity and simplicity and peace in the present moment. While her book is not directly about organization, I asked her to be on the podcast because many of the concepts she speaks about in her book are directly related to our relationships with our things. In fact, in the introduction of the book, the very first paragraph, she says, in our midst of more conveniences and material abundance than in any other period of history, we are beginning to understand that happiness, true and lasting joy and purpose, is not the product of our material surroundings alone. It is only through the process of reawakening and connecting authentically with the often hidden depths both around us and within us that our lives can blossom in fullness. Today, we will talk about that idea and many others. So welcome, Azriella.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Rebecca. I'm so happy to be here.
0: I am excited, super excited to talk to you. I really <laughs> loved and enjoyed reading your book. It's not a difficult book. The concepts are broken down in really manageable pieces, and it's not written on this like very you know, esoteric level. It's easy to read, and it's Makes so much sense. It's amazing how you were able to really get these ideas sharpen and hone and bring them out so simply.
1: I'm so happy to hear that because that was that was really the goal. Oh, good. And you know, I you feel achieved like your sometimes goal. <laughs> that was that was definitely the goal. And I feel like sometimes the it's the simplest ideas that we need to hear the most often.
0: It's true, a hundred percent. So, can you tell us why? you decided to write this book and how you started writing the book. And let's go back to figuring out how you decided to write about finding lasting joy and purpose uh, outside of material things.
1: A hundred percent. So I do think that, that there's a connection with everything in our lives. I think that our outer world can reflect our inner world. And I, I do think that it's not like an either or when it comes to spiritual or material, but rather a fusion. And I think that's a lot of what inspired me to write. I think that, that I've always loved writing. So as a child, I used to sit and write stories and journals and literally boxes and boxes were stacked, are, are probably still stacked in my parents' house where I grew up. Like this is what I did for hours. And I just had this really deep inner world. And growing up, I, I never really felt like it was fully expressed. Like I I felt like it was easier to write than it was necessarily to like be understood or connect mm. with other people really about deep things. Like I was the kid who would go into the library at my you know Hebrew school and look for the books on Kabbalah when I was ten. <laughs> I was always I was always like looking for these deeper truths. Okay, and I think as life got busier, I, you know, I I got older and. And got busy with um, my marriage and my children and going to school and working and doing all of the things that my daily life became. I stopped writing for fun. Okay. And I was writing for school. I was doing research and so on and so forth. And that was interesting. But I wasn't, I didn't really have the opportunity to fuse all of my love for the Jewish teachings and the spiritual teachings and and really write down my own original, you know, original, my own ideas, my own synthesized ideas. And so, uh, essentially, I just had this idea for many, many years, I wanna write. It was something I always wanted to get back to, something I always wanted to do. And a few years ago, it was the Jewish New Year. And a friend of mine asked me, like what, what were my goals for the year? And I said, you know, this is going to be the year. This is going to be the year. I'm finally going to write my first book. Okay. And, um, it took me two years, Rebecca. But, <laughs> but You can happened. tell that it was a labor of love. <laughs> Thank you. But yeah, it happened. And, and you know, it was really a process of, of getting back into the writing. And I think that, that what motivated me to write this book a lot was, my own observations in, within myself, within people around me, and within my students over the years and my clients, that being happy is actually work. Mm. Being happy is a practice, right? We call it a spiritual practice, a yoga practice. We use the word practice, and, and I, I really do think that, that it's not easy. It doesn't always come easily. I think we're given a lot of different messages, speaking of you know, the physical world and the consumer world, about how to make ourselves happy. We need to buy something or we need to make more money or, you know, we need to to go somewhere or do something. And that's not what we learn in the ancient Jewish texts. And that's not what the research is telling us either. And as I started learning more and more about these things, you know, in my spare time, this is what I'm interested in as a hobby. I thought it would be really important to share what I'm finding and synthesize it and, and give it to other people as well.
0: Okay so buying things makes us happy in the short term but not in the long term.
1: Yes, I I I don't even know if it, it makes everyone happy in the short term. It's so funny. I was just <laughs> You know, I I know that 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 is discussed and talked about and I I think that there's an idea that it does. Okay. There are also different ideas in like be, uh behavioral the behavioral like economics right. that talk about this like pain of buying things, right? So buying things does not necessarily always even make us happy in the short term.
0: Okay. I think that
1: buying things can complicate our lives. You know, right? Yes. you're a personal organizer. What's bringing stress to the first world right now? Is it not having things or having so much stuff that we're literally consumed by it? We need p- other people to clean our big houses, right? We need boxes to put our boxes in. <laughs>
0: things it's so take true. time,
1: right. right? Yeah. So all we have is time and space and, I think when we step back, no matter where we are in our lives, we can become mindful of how to best approach so, those things.
0: I'd like to just take a step back and go back to the opening quote that I, I read, which is what you open your book with, that right now we have more than we've ever had in terms of material things. and what i find is that you know what you said like we are always trying to organize that but also why is it that these things are not like giving us any happiness or what about them is it because they're associated with stress or is it because it's a short-term happiness that the things give us or how can we use what we have to give us happiness even Right. I think it's I think
1: that is a phenomenal question. And I think that it works in a few different ways.
0: Okay. So sorry for it not being fully formed. <laughs> oh, I think, I think you perfect, can bring I it out. It's,
1: it's a perfect it's a perfect question and I, I, I know exactly where we can go with this because okay, I've thought about it a lot. And you know, I think that to start out on the on a positive note, I think that our physical environment can actually connect us spiritually. Okay. And this is spoken about in different ancient texts and in ancient Jewish texts and so forth, that having a beautiful home can help us to feel connected spiritually, having a beautiful home, a clean home. And I think that that can do a lot for us. I think that, you know, we are physical beings and we are, we are organized in a way that we respond to our environment, right? We have Pleasure at seeing beauty. We love the way that nature looks. It brings calm to our brains. We um, we have responses when it comes to like the sensory world to to smell to touch, and I think that we can incorporate all of the senses and all of their beauty into our homes. I think that 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 when it comes to the unhappiness, right, the the lack of joy that some people are finding in the physical world and in consumerism is being on this treadmill of thinking that I knew the next thing, right? So I might, I might be in a place in my life, perhaps I'm young, I'm starting out, and, and uh, I live in one place that I want to live somewhere bigger. I'm outgrowing my current situation, let's say. And so I spend so much of my time and energy thinking about the next step, planning for the next step, working for the next step, that I become habituated to be looking to a next step. So okay. then when I get to that next step, my brain is habituated to keep going for more. It's like so, I haven't yet learned to be here now.
0: So it's okay to hope for improvement in the future, but we have to f- express gratitude for what we have right now.
1: A hundred percent. I think what I think that's exactly right. And I think what we can do is is we if we feel that, you know, we are in that situation, we're outgrowing our current circumstance or you know, we're working to buy a new car or you know, whatever it is, we we want to redecorate our home. I think that's all fine. And that's all good. And I think that those things can enhance our lives in in, in positive ways and meaningful ways. And at the same time, we want to habituate ourselves to enjoying them. So what does that mm. mean? Right? What does it mean if I get a really fuzzy, soft carpet, maybe I want to sit and, and, you know, just feel my bare feet on the carpet or sit down on it and, and talk about it. And you know, just be aware that it's in my home. It's not something else that I'm just going to pass over. I want to take the time to enjoy enjoy what I already have, right? right? So as much as that young person could be habituated to wanting that next new and bigger home, there's most likely so much in life that they could take the time right now mm-hmm. to be present with and enjoy. And I think that's a choice. That's, that's a choice and that's a choice in our mind. And I think that has a lot to do with mindfulness.
0: Okay. So do you think that most people know how to connect with their present situation?
1: I think it's a really good question. And I'm going to answer that one based on, on the research okay. that says, now I know that in the United States, they say one in 11 people is practicing meditation mindfulness. Okay. And the goal of mindfulness is to be able to step out of our thoughts rather than being inside of a thought. You know, someone could get so wrapped up in a thought that they can't taste the apple that they're eating, right? <laughs> it's true. Or they're so busy thinking about that next home that they, they can't even see the, the beautiful apartment that they're living in now and this beautiful life they have, right? So, so I think that's a, a goal of, this, of mindfulness is to be able to step out of the thought and into the moment. And, and more and more people are practicing it. You know, I know that many of the mindfulness teachers say 20, 30 years ago, if they were to tell someone that they teach meditation, they would just get funny looks, you know. <laughs> and now you say, oh, I teach meditation and I teach mindfulness or, or happiness or, and people are interested. So right. I think that that we're moving towards a post-materialistic phase,
0: Okay, can we back up for one minute? Because I just want you to explain your vision of mindfulness and how you meditate. I guess just so it's clear. So So,
1: you asked Mm -hmm. because I
0: want it to be clear for everybody exactly what it is for you.
1: What it is for me, you know it's it's amazing for me. It's evolving, and I think that. It's been different things to me in different phases of my life. Okay. Like, you know, the word meditation appears throughout different uh, Torah, Jewish Torah texts. And I was always sort of drawn to that word, like, what does it mean? And as a child, my, my spiritual experiences were uh, largely in nature, in summer camp, out in nature, listening to really beautiful prayers and, and tunes and feeling like this piece of the moment Right, where okay, you know, maybe um, something's happening with a friend of mine in, you know, outside of this moment or Mm -hmm. in my family, or you know, we have a lot of like situations that are just going on in different areas of our lives, but being able to take this moment of peace, right? And that was something I experienced very, very young. And as I got older, one thing I spoke about in Beyond All Things is this practice of speaking to the infinite, speaking to the universe, speaking to God whatever we're, we're referring to, this ineffable being as, is, is really having a personal relationship with that and speaking to that. And this practice of speaking to the infinite, speaking to God is something that I came upon, I learned about, say, 15, 15 or so years ago. And it always really resonated for me perhaps because I didn't learn the Hebrew prayers in their entirety as a child. Okay. I'm not sure why, but for whatever reason, this, this practice of speaking to, to the universe really, really resonated for me. And that's a practice that I took up and it became over time actually a, a meditation for me because it was this vehicle, right? It was like this technology that could take me out of my own thoughts. I could choose my thoughts, right? I could move my mind to a certain place and really immerse myself in these like deep expressions. Mm. So that's one form of meditation that that really resonates with me and has resonated for a long time. Funny enough, I felt that because I was doing this, I, I didn't need like this other quiet sort of silent meditation. It was something that okay. I, I really, really, I was, I really, uh, <gasps> I did not embrace it for many years. It was, it was meditation. recommended. To, it, yeah, it was recommended mm-hmm. to me. I heard about it. Part of me was like drawn to it, but I, I felt like um, I just couldn't couldn't do the silent thing. Okay. And then something changed, and it was like a dramatic and amazing change.
0: So up that until happened. that, up until the change, though, you were doing like guided meditations.
1: I was doing more, he, he, the, in Hebrew it's called the hipotadudu, it's like okay. the, the, when you're by yourself and you're speaking to, to, to God, so that was my form of meditation, okay. and then about a year ago, I went to a health practitioner who recommended this more silent meditation to me, Okay. and I went to him for some foot pain, I've dealt with chronic pain actually over the course of my life, okay. And from an injury. And I've always been looking for ways to, you know, kind of live with it or make it better. And I think that's part of what drew me to joy and happiness and personal growth and all these things, because I think it's a way of, of like shifting our focus. So he recommended this different type of meditation to me as a way of, of shifting my focus away from pain and, and, and really dealing with it. And, um, and so I found this amazing app. It's called Insight Timer. And okay. it's, an, it's the biggest meditation app in the world. And it's full of guided meditations and, and meditation music and courses. And, and, and I just started listening. And when I learned a technique, a breathing meditation technique, something really shifted in me. And um,
0: Oh, tell us and, about the technique.
1: So incredible, so what i 've learned over the last year or so about breath meditation it's so beautiful too, because you know, in writing Beyond all things, I was writing about the word the Hebrew word for for breath is Nishima, and the Hebrew word for soul is nishama. and really, life was breathed into us, as the Torah explains, and this life that was breathed into us came from the deepest of all places, right? The most profound of all places that came from our creator. And what I've come to understand is that breath has the capacity to connect us with the deepest parts of ourselves. Mm -hmm. And there are so many different methods, Rebecca. It's really, really beautiful. There's all different types of breathing, um, breathing through alternating nostrils or breathing for specific counts of time. Um, there's like a basic breathing meditation, which I really love. And it's simply, it, it's used in mindfulness. And it's this practice of simply focusing on the breath, on the sensations of breath, right? So often we, we breathe and we, we don't even notice that we're doing it. Right. But this is a practice of quieting everything else and tuning in simply to breath. So For me, in discovering this, it was really effective in a a lying down position, and I was listening to a track at the time when I first sort of discovered this power. Okay. And what it did was, it it taught me that there may be a a host of different thoughts kind of coming in, in and out of my mind and through my mind, and and that I can acknowledge them, but I don't have to like be in them, right? Okay. I can acknowledge them and simply refocus on the breath right even like the the really intricate parts of breath how does the breath feel coming through my nostrils or feel on the back of my palate or how does it feel when it comes into my lungs and am i breathing deeply am i connecting okay. with my breath and and you know it's like a little foreign in the beginning but it can transport you to a place of bliss. And and right. even along the way to that, like even a few deep breaths, one deep breath can change our brain chemistry and relax us tremendously. Hmm. So that's a little bit about, about the basic breathing technique. And I also want to share with you that over the process of learning about breath and meditation, I also learned from a mentor of mine about the practice of breathing into difficult feelings like throughout the day, right? Not stepping away to meditate, but suppose a person, let's take example of like a mother with little children and the children aren't listening and and the mother, it feels frustrated. Perhaps this is a mom who resorts to like yelling or, you know, she feels angry and she doesn't know exactly what to do. And she's kind of like relying on this like yelling habit. Okay. So (sighs) she realizes that the yelling is not bringing her the results she wants and it's not making her feel better. So what does she do? So this is a perfect example of someone who could really breathe into a difficult emotion and experience it. And simply by being present with saying, you know, I could say to myself, let's say I'm the mother. (laughs) Um, I am a mother. I do have four kids. Yes. I have been frustrated before in the process of parenting. So what can I do? I can sit in the moment and think, well, you know, my kids are, you know, fill in the blank, not cleaning up their messes. And this is making me feel uncomfortable. And where do I feel that in my body, right? right. I could feel it in my chest or my stomach or whatever it is. And rather than reacting, I can breathe and I can try to connect with my breath. And, and, you know, I don't have to respond right away. I don't have to do anything right away. This is a mess on the floor. Like, I can handle this. I can just press pause for a minute connect with my breath, and just see if I can be with the emotion. Okay. And what's so incredible about this, Rebecca, really, is that we, we never have to react, right? It's, it's rare. It's a rarity. Our reactions are intelligent, and they're there for us when we need them. But yelling at our kids to clean up a mess is not like a necessary reaction. And I think that the power of meditation, the power of even simple breathing techniques and connecting with breath is that we can handle so much more than we think and we can react so much. We can respond rather than react, right? So much more mindfully. So that's been a little bit about the power of these breathing techniques and these meditations in my own life.
0: Wow. That's amazing that you're able to do that. <laughs>
1: It's an ongoing process, it's <laughs> pra- right? It's a pr- it's, it's a, a practice. practice. It's
0: a journey, it's a as we like to it's, say here.
1: Yeah, it's a journey. It's a practice. I yeah. and and it is possible. Anybody can do it. Anybody can do it. I'm convinced of it so much that I'm I'm teaching it to other people now, and I'm starting to do these workshops with people about it, and I'm just putting it out there because it's helped me so tremendously, and I know that amazing. Yeah, it helps me yeah. too. I
0: um I spoke about. I think it's. I don't remember the episode number offhand, but my interview with Chaya Allen—how she taught me how to do like guided meditation—and um, for me, it's really been helpful and eases a lot of my anxiety and brings me back to this center position when I feel like off balance. Right?
1: Oh, that's so so wonderful.
0: <laughs> okay, so let's switch gears a little bit. I want to talk about what you wrote on page twenty-four, which is. Um, you talk about us being an integral part of the natural world and that we are connected to the earth, sky, waters, and living organisms. You say reconnecting with the natural world can renew our sense of self and at least peek into the grandiosity of the spiritual world that enrobes us in all moments. Um, So as you know, I am presently on a journey towards zero waste and a lot of listeners out there aren't sure how reducing uh what we use allows us to connect to nature and why that connection is so important and i'll just add to say that um before yom tov there was a letter that was written and signed by many rabbanim who rabbis who said you know that we shouldn't use single use disposables over holidays and there was sort of a backlash like well, why shouldn't we use it? Why is the earth more important than us? Why should we stand there all of Yom Tov and wash dishes or, you know, clean up or whatever and mm-hmm. when the Chad helps us so much? So how can we really connect to that natural world and allow ourselves to have the time, I guess, to be able to connect in that way but also from the standpoint of the stuff like how can we connect minimize so that we can connect like right right we want to enjoy that right
1: right we want to we want to enjoy we want to enjoy our time we want to use space as a mechanism to enjoy our time right so I, I think that you're bringing up a perfect example of self uh, of a way that we can learn to practice self-compassion. Okay. So yes, I believe we are part of the natural world, right? When we think about creation of the world, we are one of its creations. We are so connected to one another. We can sense one another's emotions from across a room through phone lines, right? We have a natural love and compassion for animals and we have a brain that shifts when it's in nature and, our body chemistry changes when we're walking bare feet bare, with bare feet on the, on the sand next to the sea. You know, we, we really do have this integral connection. I think that we see that when we, we, we see people in, in, in places that are more nature based, right? Like certain okay. States say, for example, in, in America, Colorado is known to be into conservation and, recycling and and going green and and a lot of the residents in that state happen to be active participants in nature activities or they live in nature. You know, when we're surrounded by nature, we are directly in touch with it. Okay. And we we realize we have an impact. When we live in the city, right? It's very easy to forget, okay, so where's where's all that garbage going? It goes in a truck and it disappears. Right. You know? Nothing's disappearing. And I think that the world is really waking up to this. And we're starting to see it and it's it's uncomfortable in the beginning, you know, it's uncomfortable to, for someone to suddenly hear that, oh, they shouldn't be doing, you know, they shouldn't be using the plastic that they're using and instead they should be spending hours and hours, you know, washing dishes. Okay. And then, you know, perhaps we're wasting water, you know, we could, we, could, we could make the measurements like where are we saving and where are we spending, like which one's better, which one's worse. But bottom line is, we, we need to be compassionate on ourselves, right? Wherever we are right now, the uh, nobody should be shamed for for their 100%. current habits. You know, nobody needs to be shamed for what they're doing. We're all trying to juggle so much in our lives, and I think that the the healthiest starting place is from a place of self-compassion, where we say to ourselves, you know, we're trying to do so much, and we're trying to reduce, and it's hard because everything comes in a package. <laughs> right. or I forgot my grocery bags the other day at the store and I had to, you know, use the plastic ones or wherever we're starting, whatever it is, or I grew up using, say this isn't me, but like someone who grew up using the plastic plates, uh, for, for, for at the dinner table. And this is just, you know, the habit, like we have to have compassion on ourselves and say, okay, I've been habituated to this, you know, is this bringing me joy? um, is the environment important to me? What is my contribution? Now, if you and I were to pause for a moment before we put those plates on the table, and think about what if every single person, right? What if a million people right now just decided they weren't they weren't going to use the plastic, they weren't going to throw it away? We would see. There's going to be a, a large scale impact, and I, I think that the work you're doing is really really important. I think it's going to take the work of, of individuals and and corporations as well. But I I do think we can find joy in, in reducing. Okay. I think it's a process. And one more thing that I want to say is like, I think there are reasonable alternatives. I think there are happy mediums. Like now you can find these compostable paper plates. Correct. I don't think that has any impact on I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, is that
0: a... Well, if you're actually composting them, then yes. <laughs> but if you're just throwing them into the landfill, they can't necessarily break down. Uh-huh.
1: Uh-huh. Okay, so so I do have a but compost are- bin in my house, so so that would be a matter of me, like, rinsing the plates and just throwing them in the, in the compost bin.
0: Correct. Okay. I, I don't even think... I, I, I mean, I hope the compost police don't come and get me, but I don't... If we use them, which is very rare, but we just throw them in the bin and we don't worry about really rinsing them. We just sort of throw away whatever can't be composted and then, you know, put the rest in the composter. Although we do have a home biogas and as of yet, we haven't been able to really get it to work. (laughs) But uh, hopefully once that happens, you know, we won't have any organic waste at all so if we use Ooh, compost, so we just put that in. yeah and it's great because it creates cooking gas so here in israel we use um gas balloons and most people use gas gas uh balloons canisters to put gas on their stove this way the home biogas powers the stove basically the gas stove basically wow yeah
1: Wow! I know that they just came out with
0: a new version, which maybe is better than the one we have. (laughs) We still haven't been able to get it to work. Uh, But anyways, yeah. So let's talk about quieting the noise of the outside world. We touched on this a little bit, but I think that this is a concept that can help us see what what we can declutter from our life. So can you talk about more how we can quiet our mind? to a point where you can let things go?
1: Absolutely. I think that, I think there's a balance between our mindfulness practice and also keeping our life simple where possible, right? Okay. I think that when we simplify our physical environment, it's, it's just very basically simply put, less work. Hundred us 100%. Do, right? Like you talk about this a lot. Like, yeah. you know, you've inspired me in a lot of ways whenever oh, I listen thanks. to you talk and, and I've loved your posts over the last several years. And you know, just to keep things simple, right? When we have a closet that's not stuffed, it's easier to put things away. And that is joyful. I, I walk into a room and I go to put my nicely folded clothes away and there's space for them and they fit. I'm not having to play Tetris every time I go to put the clothes oh, in the no. closet. That simplifies the process, right? Um, we could talk about so many other things like in and around a home. I was thinking about it yesterday. I planted this beautiful bougainvillea tree in the, in the, in the garden. I love the colors. Okay. And then I realized, wow, this is really growing wild. It's kind of going into the neighbor's yard and you know, it's like all over the place. And it, it felt like a loose end to me. Right, so here's this beautiful plant, but it's kind of growing out of control. It's therefore taking up space in my mind. Like, what am I going to do with it? You know, is it is it going to be overgrown? And and um and it's like one little example of how something in our physical environment can take up space in our mind you know okay so I'm just going to give a plug for
0: automation at that point then because uh, it's like if you automate your gardener to come every two months then it's not going to get out of control because he'll just know to cut it back and then it's not really your problem anymore because he's coming and all you got to do is you know pay the bill right like it's one more thing off your plate when you can automate that kind of Yes. Yeah. Yes. I'm a big, yes, 100%. I'm a big advocate of automation because I just feel like, as long as you can just sort of keep an eye on things and and you've delegated it to somebody else, um, it makes the anxiety decrease exponentially. A
1: hundred, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. I think that's a perfect example of something that could be automated. You know, if if somebody wants it to be automated, some people, you know, they like to do their gardening. It's satisfying. No. Right, okay. um, and I also think that as parents, we can we can call upon our kids. It's something else I did write about in the book that we're actually doing them a favor for their, their long term happiness and sense of responsibility to the family and their self concept by by allowing them and to anything make a, a a meaningful contribution to the family at any age. You know, whether it's like a, a child who is, you know, younger and, and wants to sit and, and you know, try to clean a window or clean up toys from the floor or run the vacuum cleaner or to older kids who can really do anything and everything right. from cooking or cleaning around the home. And and we're really giving them, you know, I think this is a, a great example of where some of us have been sold a bill of goods that you know, the more help we have around the house, the more hired help we have around the house, like the easier and happier, you know, we're all gonna be. I don't think that's true.
0: And I agree with you. And actually, it goes back to what we were talking about before about chad pami. Like, if you have eight kids and you don't want to use dishes, like, why aren't you tasking one of your kids to do that? And I right. so I have to 100%. say that some of my happiest memories are after Shabbat dinner or Chag dinner where I'm, we're all doing the dishes and cleaning up together. That's when conversations happen and that's when, you know, things are happening and it's, fam- it's still extended family time. That's so,
1: it's such a beautiful example of a paradigm shift. And I think that we, you know, we'll wonder, oh, why don't our kids want to help? When we look at chores begrudgingly, when we look at maintaining our things in our homes begrudgingly, like it's uh, it's it's not fun or it's uncomfortable or it's, you know, all these negative thoughts and feelings, we're passing that down. But the right. second we can re envision what it means. We have a home, we get to clean it. And and really, we have a lot of research now that is telling us that doing things with our hands, including the dishes, okay, including washing windows, including the projects around the house that we right. undertake are actually bringing us happiness on a cellular level. We can pass that on to our kids.
0: And you actually talk about that in the book and use the example about folding laundry. <laughs> Yes. So, yes. Do you want to say
1: that story? About <laughs> okay, how, yeah. 100%. You know, I'll, I'll be honest with you. You know, it says um, somewhere in, in, in the Torah, it says like you change your place and you change your luck, right? Like when you yes. have to move. Yes. And for me, making Aliyah, oh, moving to Israel was a total paradigm shift for me. And I went from like working full time and being in school full time and having someone at home like cleaning things for me So coming here and not working full time or being in school full time, I'd graduated and and I I took the opportunity not to work my first year and to learn Hebrew instead. And suddenly, I was home and I had time, and I thought, okay, you know, maybe here I'll also look into this hired help thing. And it just wasn't the same (laughs) for various reasons, like. It just it just wasn't the same, and something about it didn't sit right with me. And and I'm not against hiring help. I want to be really really forthright about that. Mm. I think we all have different needs and 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 in our domestic lives. And I think everyone should be honored for the choices that they make. But for me personally, I just decided like like I was gonna kind of. Um, make an effort to, to do things more on my own and get my kids more involved. And, and my husband, thankfully, also likes to do a lot of different things at home too. That's so, nice. Um, so I feel grateful for that. So anyway, I uh, the first year I was visiting a, fr- a close friend of mine who has always kind of like done things on on her own. Like she, okay. she, she just never wanted to get a housekeeper and her house is like immaculate. And I was walking around her house. I love her house. It's always such a pleasure to be there. And she's just such a sweet person. And and we're having a great time. and, And I was walking down the hall and I kind of peered into her laundry room. And I saw these like perfectly folded baskets of clothing. And they just looked so kind of nice and neat. Like I could almost take a picture of them. And um, I asked her like, so what, what's going on? Who folds your clothes? Like, why does it look so, I was just marveling at her laundry. And she just looked at me and she said, oh, laundry is zen.
0: I feel that way too. My husband's always <laughs> like, there's so much laundry to fold. And I'm like, "I fold it, I don't mind. I like folding them. Right? And to me, like, there's like what? a piece about making sure that the sheets are folded like Ugh. exactly right. And like they come out to this perfect square. <laughs>
1: Oh, wow. I'm not on your level. Okay. I haven't, I haven't mastered the sheets yet, but I, but I will I,
0: I will credit my grandma for that. My grandma taught me how to fold sheets, fitted sheets.
1: So nice. I,
0: I can fold them nice and square.
1: Okay. I'm going to revisit that lesson from you, Rebecca. <laughs> so <laughs> so I saw that and, and I heard her say that and she spoke from the heart, you know, so it really entered my heart and, and I just thought about it and in the years that have passed since witnessing that I've really sort of tapped into the magic. And now when we're folding clothes, you know, we'll do it as, as do it together. or I'll listen to, you know, a podcast or just kind of like take the time for quiet. And um, right. it doesn't have to be drudgery. It can uh-huh. be enjoyable. It really can.
0: I agree. Um, let's go, let's just back up one. I, ha- I have one more question for you. Um, and In Insight 19, you say to contemplate the origins of your possessions. Who or what has been part of the process in the item joining you? And I was thinking about this in relation to consumption. If we think about who made our clothing or who harvested our food and the journey that it took to get to us, I think if we stop and think about that stuff before we buy, we could really limit consumption and feel happier and be able to focus on other parts of our life and it sort of goes back to the to the zero waste aspect of things whereas like if we could just think about you know all those other people like we would be able to use less probably I think and it would make us feel a little bit happier so I'm just Interested in, in your thoughts about, about Insight 19 and, and how you got to that?
1: hundred percent. So I think that I originally got to that insight after having discovered the power of saying blessings over food. And when I learned about this idea of saying a blessing before we eat, I was really moved by it. And I remember listening to someone speak about eating a piece i think it was a piece of fruit and we thought about how it sat on the table it was in the refrigerator came from a certain store and then retracing the steps like through the hands of the people that had carried that apple to that store back to the point when it was a seed and then the tree that it fell from and it just it's just this infinite cycle really when we trace the origin of anything in the natural world. And the truth is, is that our physical objects are not so different, right? They're all made from something that came from somewhere. And I think that again, we can become habituated to wanting more, right? Wanting more clothing, wanting more possessions to fill our house, or we can pause and we can really tap into, wow, someone sat and sewed the beads onto the sweater. How incredible is that? How beautiful. Someone took the time to, to, you know, do each individual stitch on the sweater and just to really be aware of the beauty of the objects that we are already holding. Right. And I think that's the shift. And I think when we put our energy there, we don't need to spend our time, you know, running to malls and our, our energy thinking about what we don't have and buying things.
0: So we don't have to spend energy on the acquisition. We can spend it on gratitude.
1: Yeah. we Gratitude experiences. You know, I, I got a sweater. Now, what am I going to do in that sweater? I'm not buying a sweater so I can go to the mall and buy another one, right? Right. <laughs> to wear the sweater to the mall. Um, but sometimes, you know, consumerism can feel like that. And yeah. I don't think it has to. I think we can seek out opportunities to, to you know, do other things, be with people that we appreciate and go out into nature and,
0: you know. I always say that, you know, um, Hanukkah is coming up. It's not so close, but it's not so far. And, you know, I always urge my listeners to think about um, excursions or experiences that they can do with their families rather than, you know, eight nights of stupid little tchotchkes that, <laughs> you know, are, are made in China and probably aren't that healthy to begin with and are just going to end up in the garbage anyways. Mm-hmm. And um, the response that I get is always, you know, the experience was so gratifying for all of us and it made our time together really enjoyable. And I, and for us, especially if, even if we're doing nothing, even if we, you know, are watching a movie or last night, like we went to a wedding, like those experiences are just for us, like, and we get to experience them and it takes us away from fo- being focused on what we have or what we don't have. And, I think that also is part of, you know, thinking about reducing in your life is when you can really think about or or not think about what you don't have and focus on right then and there, that becomes a huge way for you to move forward, feel happier and just enjoy have gratitude.
1: Yeah, I love that. I love I love that part of your message so much. It makes so much sense. And, you know, now we have research that substantiates that experiences are bringing more overall happiness and well-being to us than, you know, acquiring new things. And obviously it depends on what, and there's balance, and we do have needs, and, you know, we can have compassion on ourselves. We're humans, and we we need things. we, We want certain things. But when I think about what you just said, it makes so much sense to me in the regard that you know, when we talk about reducing, we have a natural, we have a built-in mechanism called loss aversion as humans, right? It's it's spoken about in psychology. We don't want to lose things. And sometimes when, when we propose an idea of, you know, let's not do gifts this year, it almost feels like a loss. But when we reshift our focus, like, oh, let's do activities this year. And let's, you know, do that amazing boat ride at the, at the shore, or let's, you know, take that horseback riding trip or whatever it is. I think that it's just a matter of focus, right? It's not, a, right. we're not focusing on what we're not buying. We're focusing on what we are doing. And um, I think especially with children, it can be so powerful right. to genuinely shift our focus.
0: hundred percent. So I would just like to know if there's anything that you would like to add or any ideas that you feel are important that the listeners should know about.
1: Well, I want to thank you for all of your work that you do. and thank you. (laughs) You know, it's just so clear that this is something that is important to you. And I think you're so honest about sharing your personal journey toward zero waste and to organization with with so many of us here. And um, I know that it's really a source of inspiration for me.
0: Oh, thanks.
1: And and I appreciate that. And... um, trying to think what else let's see I think that you really covered it I think you touched upon you know so much from the book and I think we really do have so many common areas like between our messages yeah so I love that I appreciate that and uh and that's about it. I, you know, I have several okay. different things going on right now. Yeah, so I'm tell us starving. about
0: where can we get your book, where can we listen to your podcast, how can we contact okay, you? Okay, I'm,
1: I'm so excited because <laughs> the book the – book, well, I'm trying to be zero waste with my book. I didn't print any books out, Rebecca.
0: Really? So okay. I
1: didn't print any books, and there are print-on-demand books available on okay. Amazon and now also Barnes & Nobles and Book Depository and all of the places that you find books. Not sure if it's on iBooks yet. I'm still working on the Apple. Okay. But it's it's basically. I have to tell you the
0: cover art of your book is gorgeous. I love it. It really spoke to me. Oh,
1: amazing! So I worked with Mushki, um, Mushki Ulio, Yes. And she just got me. Like she, (laughs) she really got me. I have to say. So I I was really happy about that and. yeah, and then after the book was finished, I decided to start a podcast, okay. and I'm super excited about that. So it's called Within All Things, although it's brand new, and the titles is a work in progress. I'm still okay. changing it, which okay. we can talk about later. All right. Anyway, that's out there, and I'm doing some coaching, doing some group coaching, some accountability masterminds. Okay. And I'm also starting. So, how can people to- find you? Mindfulness meditation. So I can be found on my website, which is my name, okay. Azrielajankovic.com. A Z-R-I-E-L-A-J-A-N-K-O-V-I-C dot com. And Excellent. all the info is there.
0: Excellent. Amazing. Well, Ozzy, I really appreciate you taking the time to speak to us today. If you want to see any of the links that we just spoke about, I will link to them on the show page at balaganbegone.com forward slash podcast forward slash podcast 118. And all the links to Ozzy's book and her podcast and her website will be there. And for now, I wish you all a great week and happy organizing.
1: Thanks for listening to the Journey to Organization podcast. You can find Rebecca on Twitter and Instagram at BalaGonBegon and on Pinterest as Rebecca Saltzman. Visit balagonbegone.com for resources and to join the mailing list to get podcast updates.